didn't tell you my age. <laughs> the Lord's been gracious. He's Our mic system always mucks up in MacArthur, so I hope this doesn't this morning. But yes, God's been so gracious. Uh, I'll be 76 this year. And people say, you look so young, you act so young. I says, but you don't know the inside. That's old. <laughs> what a privilege it is for me to have been asked by your pastor to come and preach for you this morning. It's, it's wonderful. I, I, I remember some of you. Uh, but not all of you, and it's nice to be able to be here and to share with you God's Word. I really appreciated so much the music that you have here and the, the young people that are involved in that. What a blessing. Uh, you know, that's only of God that can stir up the young people to minister for the Lord. And, and I think at MacArthur we have only one violin, and I've noticed that there were six here. Can we take some of them away? <laughs> But that's a thrill. May I encourage you, young people, to keep serving the Lord. You know, that's what it's all about. Beautiful song, his nail-scarred hands, how he came. To think that that was God incarnate in Jesus, and, and he came to, well, pay the price in order that we may have life and have it more abundantly. So it's a real blessing to be here this morning. I'd like for you as... Um, by the way, if you have a problem pronouncing my name, my old pastor, he, he must be in the 80s now, and nine, nearly close to 90 in America, he's gone back to the United States, and when he was uh, pastoring in Fellowship Baptist Church in Moorbank, uh, I was one of the deacons there, and I had a hat that you know, did everything, but he wrote to his mother to pray for us, especially for my wife and I and the family. Um, he didn't know how to, he knew how to spell my name, which is C-I-N-I, but he said, how can I get her to understand how to pronounce it? And he thought up this idea, and I thought that was great. So if you have a hard time saying Sini, please do not say Senile or Sinai or anything like that, because I get that so many times. But think of it this way, see your eyes, knee, see knee, see that, that comes easy, okay? So do that. All right. I got the photos from your pastor too, and I really appreciate it. I was thinking, how many photos is he sending? He only sent me one. <laughs> you got two. So you did well this morning. <laughs> I thought that was amazing, you know, but I'm glad. I had to do the same thing he did once many years ago when my daughter was marrying a, an American, and he got saved in Malta while we were there as missionaries. And you should have seen him so fearful when I had to baptize him. He didn't know... Uh, so I didn't want him to marry my daughter. She was only 18 at the time, I think. And he said, you're not going to drown me, are you? I said, well, I was thinking about it. <laughs> but they wanted to get married after an engagement, and, that, and the problem was he had to go back to the States because he was a pilot. And she could not enter into the States for about four or five months. And I said, that's not good. They get married, and then they separate it. So the consulate in the American embassy there in, in Malta said, why don't you go to the States and marry them there? And I said, that's a good idea, and that's what we did. So your pastor did the same thing as marrying one of your kind here to America. 
Please turn in your Bibles this morning, if you will, to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 26. Have you ever heard that story about this lady that was frail and young uh, at heart, but she was an elderly lady and, and uh, she was living alone and, and one day a burglar broke in while she was still at home. And she says, what am I going to do? She was a Christian. So she said, she yelled out, Acts 36. And the robber thought for himself, Acts 36. I'm out of here. And bang. And the police caught him. And they said, how come you didn't take any of her articles? Uh, she's an old lady. He said, she had an axe and a 38. <laughs> I wasn't going to get caught about that. So Acts chapter 26 this morning in your Bibles. I don't know what you do here, but in MacArthur Baptist Church, I always recommend our people to stand when we read the Word of God out of respect for the Word of God. Do you do that here? Praise the Lord. That's good. We're going to start our reading is from verse 24. Now, before I start that, just to remind you that this is the Apostle Paul who was originally Saul, and he was uh, wanting to be, the Jews didn't like him, and everybody else wanted to get rid of him. And in this passage, he's coming before King Agrippa and the governor Felix as well. And there was other dignitaries there, and he was giving his testimony of what had happened to him. It's amazing, isn't it? He appealed to Caesar... He was a Roman, obviously, and he should not have been in in custody. He should have been set free. But he appealed to Caesar, and and the end of the passage will tell us what's happening. But in verse 24, it says uh, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, Thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa. Believest thou the prophets? I know thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. That's our text verse. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. And when he had thus spoken, the king rose up and the governor and Bernice, and they that sat with them. And when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, This man doeth nothing worthy of death or of bonds. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, This man might have been set at liberty or set free if he had not appealed unto Caesar. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for this day being the Lord's day. We thank you that your people, your children, ought to be found in the house of God, in the house of prayer. 
And primarily, Father, we're here with one purpose, and that's to glorify you in this service. I thank you for Southland Baptist Church. I thank you for their pastor and his family and all the people here, all the members and, and friends and visitors. I pray, Father, this morning that the Word of God will truly stir our hearts to be witnesses to everyone that we meet who is not saved. May we talk to them about Christ and how they can have what we have. Father, may you bless this message. May help me to be behind the cross and help me to herald forth your truth. For we ask all these mercies in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated, would you? You may have heard some sentences to this effect. Maybe you have said some of them. And I looked up and I asked my wife to look up in the Facebook and have a look at some words that have the word almost in a sentence. And I come up with some of these that I thought maybe some of us would do this. The first one that I found was, she was almost hit by a car. Now, I could relate to that. I think it was uh, sometime last week, uh, on Wednesday night after prayer meeting, I was heading home and riding on the, on the right-hand side of the road, and all of a sudden, I, I hear a siren behind me. And it was a police car, and he was coming. I mean, he was speeding. Apparently, there was something happening at Rosemeadow, some drug bust. At the, and so I just moved over and let him pass, and then went back onto the other lane again. And there was this fellow behind me, and all of a sudden, you know, we went about maybe 100 yards. I could see from the mirror two other police cars coming, and they were really driving fast. And as soon as I saw the light, the guy in front of me saw the light, but instead of moving to the left, he stopped dead right in front of me. He jammed his brakes, and I had to jam my brakes, and the policeman was, you know, bipping the horn so we could move over. Finally, they went around the other way. But I can identify by being almost hit. I would have ran straight into the back of him because... No one would do that when they're driving, all of a sudden just stop. You know, the common sense thing to do if you're driving and there's a bus, sorry, a, a police car or, or a fire engine or an ambulance, you move to the left so they can get through. But this guy just stops. I thought, praise God, I was able to stop. And that policeman was really mad. But they got through and it was a big bus, uh, drug bus somewhere in Ferry Meadow there, not Ferry Meadow, um, Rose Meadow. But I can identify with that. I've seen people, when I was in the United States, I for, I'm always looking to the right, and there I forgot that you've got to do the other the reverse. And I nearly got hit, and I quickly went back on the footpath. But another sentence that has the word almost is, I almost forgot that it was his birthday. Some of you may identify with that. You know, if you're like me, and you've got five children, and they're all married and 11 grandchildren. You think, when is the next birthday? Whose birthday? So I rely on my wife to tell us when they, they are. But we, sometimes you could forget, but we shouldn't, okay? Another sentence says, he's almost as tall as me. I used to say that to Jeremy, my grandson, and he's now over me. Most of my grandkids, the boys that are getting of age, they're all, I seem to be getting lower, you know? So, so I keep telling them, well, you, one day you'll get as tall as me. Now they exceed me. One that uh, I remember in England when we moved from Malta to England for some reason, uh, the temperature dropped by about 20 degrees 
And I said, we almost froze to death, but we didn't. It was cold. I think it was about 10 degrees. And, you know, when you come from a country that's predominantly uh, tropical climate, that it was nice and warm into a 10 degrees, you know, you feel you're freezing to death, but you don't actually freeze to death. But people use that terminology. One that you should be all familiar with, dinner is almost ready. It's not ready, but it's almost ready, okay? And the one that I liked most of all was, last year I spent so much time by myself that I almost forgot how to communicate effectively with others. I almost forgot. And the word almost is a word that says that you haven't achieved what you wanted to achieve or done what you wanted to do. You almost done it. Now, you look at golfers today, and, and, and they're all, when they get to on a par three, not that I'm a golfer. The time that I played two games of golf, I nearly killed two pastors. You know, because I went to hit that way, and the ball went that way, and they're ducking, you know. But uh, that was the only two games I ever had of golf. But a golfer's aim, especially on a par three, is to get a hole in one. And sometimes you see that on TV. Some of them are very fortunate. Uh, they hit the ball and they get it. But some say, oh, I almost, you know, it just didn't quite make it. This is what's happening here with King Agrippa. And what a tragedy it is that King Agrippa did not get saved. Now, this whole chapter is Paul's defense before him. And after King Agrippa had Paul witnessed to him about Jesus, King Agrippa said, almost thou persuadeth me to be a Christian. Almost. Instead of trying to show the king why he ought to be set free because he was a Roman citizen, Paul tells him about the Lord Jesus and the plan of salvation. But how tragic it is for him to say almost. You know, you're very close, but almost is not good enough. You need to get saved. So the first thing I want to share with you this morning is found in verse 3 of chapter 26. And it says there, especially because I know thee to be expert in all customs. He's talking to King Agrippa and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently, Paul says. My first point to you this morning is that King Agrippa had his chance to be saved. Paul said, I beseech you to hear me patiently. Listen to what I have to say. Now, King Agrippa did that. He passed his chance to be saved when he said almost. But Paul did not miss his chance to witness to this king. You know, if you were to go into chapter 9 of the book of Acts and you'll have the conversion experience of the apostle Paul, the Bible says that when, when he went into that street called Straight and he was there praying, he was sort of scales over his eyes, he couldn't see. The Lord spoke to a man by the name of Ananias and he says, I want you to go there and seek out Paul. And Ananias said, this is the man that brought havoc to the children of God, to the church of God. Are you sure, God, that I got to go to him? And God said, yes, because he's a chosen vessel. He's going to be ministering or at least witnessing to 
Jews, to the Gentiles, to the kings, to the governors, and this is exactly what he was doing. It was Paul's purpose for him to see King Agrippa. He could have easily said, you know, my defense is that I'm a Roman citizen and I shouldn't even be here. And they would have automatically released him, but he didn't. He talked to him about the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know why? Because Paul had a passion for the souls of mankind. He didn't mind who it was, whether it be king or pauper. But he had a heart for people's souls. What a golden opportunity King Agrippa had to be saved here. The apostle was a man who could lead this king to Jesus, but Agrippa passed that opportunity. You know, you may be here, I don't know all of you, and I don't know your hearts, but God does. And there may be some of you here this morning that are not saved. Don't miss the opportunity. Those 49 people that was just massacred in New Zealand, primarily Muslims, think about it. Those 157 in that airplane crash, did you know that the unsaved in this world, the amount of people in this world that are unsaved, if you were to put them in a line, one after the other, you would go around the globe 20 times. That's the unsaved. And that is growing by about 30-odd meters every day. Not everybody is saved. You know your neighborhoods. You know even sometimes we have families that are not saved. I know I have five left in our family. We were 10 children that came to Australia back in 1949. I was only six years of age. And now there's only two brothers left and one sister beside myself. Praise God, two of members of my family, I had the opportunity to lead them to Christ before they went into eternity. But these last four, or last three rather, are still as lost as can be. And so no matter what I do, uh, they're not interested in what I have to say. And, and it's, it, it saddens me because I know their end, where they're going should they die. And so comes Christmas, I don't send them a Christmas card. I send them a track every year, a different one. And I'm hoping that they may read it and the Holy Spirit of God would touch their hearts. You may have loved ones that aren't saved. I exhort you this morning, I beg you, speak to them about salvation. Pray for them daily, because their end is a Christless eternity. Paul said to King Agrippa, you need salvation. But Agrippa passed his opportunity. And you may even be here this morning. Maybe one or two, maybe more. You've never actually called upon the Lord Jesus to be your Savior. You never believed in him that he was God incarnate, that he was born of a virgin and went to the cross and, and, and 
he gave up his own life. No man took it. He, he laid it up for us. And this is God himself in order that we may not go to hell. You know, I got saved about 1972, 73. I'm not exactly sure. And it was interesting how God brought the gospel to me. I was very much a Roman Catholic person. I was an altar boy. I did everything that my church told me to do. I used to say the rosary. I used to have statues in my home, in my room. I used to do the first Friday of every month. You're supposed to go to confession to a man and then do the stations of the cross. As I said, I, I served in the uh, mass. I was a very religious person. I was that religious. I feared God. My mother put the fear of God into me. I remember as a young man, I'm not sure exactly how old I was, and, and Sydney had a tremor, a bit of an earthquake. And they showed it, I think, that the, even the Harbour Bridge was swaying. And where we lived in Crown Street in Surrey Hills, opposite Crown Street Women's Hospital, it's no longer there, um, we lived in that. And the closest Roman Catholic church to me was down the hill, down near... near Central Station there. And I knew, I, I thought this is the end of the world when I was in the outback, in the outhouse, in the back of our house, and that shook. And I guarantee you, I ran to go to that church. I was so fearful that I was going to die in my sins, but I wanted the priest to hear my confession in case this is the end of the world. I ran that fast. I, I think I beat cars and... Some of you don't know this, but John Landy broke the minute mile in, uh, many, many years ago. I guarantee you I would have left him for dead. I was that scared. I ran there, and you know what? I found the church closed. I said, what am I going to do? I banged. No one came out, so I went back home. Fear of dying, fearing of going to hell. We need to put that fear into people. Because hell, the lake of fire, is a real place. It is not a figment of our imagination. It's real. You may have your opportunity today to be saved. Don't be like King Agrippa. Almost thou persuaded me to be saved or be a Christian. Don't pass it by. The Bible does not tell us that Agrippa was ever saved, but he had his chance. And every person that you give a tract to or you speak to, they're getting a chance. But pray that the Holy Spirit of God will bring conviction upon them. The second thing I want you to notice this morning is found in verse 26, obviously, that King Agrippa knew how to be saved. Paul said to the king in verse 26, of our passages, for the king knoweth or understands, is the word really, of these things before whom I also speak freely, for I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. This man stood in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit of God. Paul said, not only thou, in verse 27, says, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? And he did. I know thou believest, he said. He knew. 
Paul said, not only do you know, but he says, thou believest, in verse 27. He believed what Moses and the prophets wrote about, and they wrote about Christ. Also what the Bible said about the coming of Jesus. King Agrippa knew about that. But even though he knew what the Bible said about Jesus, it was not enough. You see, you could have the mental understanding, which I had as a Roman Catholic. I believed in Jesus Christ, who was the, you know, part of the Trinity. I believed that he was born as a virgin, from a virgin. I believed that he went to the cross and died. I believed that he rose again on the third day and that he ascended into heaven. I believed all of that. But my problem was it was all knowledge up here. You see, you need that knowledge and then put that into reality and put it into the heart. And the way you do that is by accepting Jesus as the God-man who died for you. You need to believe that he was virgin-born, that he died on the cross, he rose on the third day, and then you need to ask him to come into your life, to forgive you. You know, that was the most precious thing that could ever happen to a person is to understand. I remember my conversion, and I'm putting it into some, in the message as well, that when I got saved, before I got saved, all I was interested in was to get rich quick and retire early. And right at that part of my life, Moorbank Shopping Center was going to be built. And I had an option. I wanted to get myself a takeaway kind of a restaurant. So I figured that the way to make money, people will always have to eat. And I said, there's money in food. So I was going to have a restaurant plus a takeaway uh, shop wherever I wanted to. I had the, the plans from the builders, what they were going to build there. And so I thought, well, yes, this is the way. I knew, that's the way to get rich. You've got to work for it. It doesn't come easy. So I thought this would be great, you know, a restaurant-type takeaway shop at the same time, you know, and, and, and people always have to eat. So I, I went there. I took the, build, the plans. I took to the bank, and I said, yes, we'll give you anything that you want money to make this a reality. I went to the solicitors and made up contracts and everything else. But then something happened. A friend of mine who, who passed away not so long back, another pastor in Moorbank, some of you may know him, Pastor Peter Bywater, uh, he, he, he was starting and his wife was starting a day children's club in Moorbank. And my children were invited, at least my oldest one, Mark, was invited to go because he went to the same school as Peter's children. And so he came up to me and said, Dad, can I go to this joy club? And I was starting to move away from the Roman Catholic Church. And I said, what's this joy club? He says, oh, they, they teach Bible stories, and you get a drink and a biscuit. I thought maybe that's what he's going for, is the, the drink and the biscuit. But I let him go. And cut a long story short, you know, um, Peter started a Sunday school and at his home and they used to have people coming from Condo Park to play the piano and 
and do other things to try and build. He was going to start a church there in Moorbank. And so he invited my family to a Sunday school picnic. And I said, Peter, I loved soccer. Any of you love soccer? I love soccer. It's, it's the best game, sports. And I was playing for Hurstville Baptist. Can you believe that? A Roman Catholic playing for Hurstville Baptist. And, and we weren't doing so good. And Peter used to play for Condal Park in the church's competition there. And so he came. He says, look, we're having our anniversary uh, Sunday school. We want to invite you and the family to it. And I said, I'm sorry. I, I got a soccer match on Saturday. But I said to my wife, would you like to go? And she went with the children. She came back after that. By the way, we, that day I think we got slaughtered on the, on, on the soccer field. I think we must have lost about 6-0. I should have went to the picnic. I could have got something out of it. But she came back and said, these people are different, very friendly, very loving. I said, oh, good. That's good. And Peter was after me. He obviously knew that if he can get me involved. So he said to me, he said, I know you like soccer. Why don't you come and join Condal Park People's Church soccer team? And I thought, well, that's a good idea. And I did. And whilst we were playing soccer, Condal Park had a men's banquet. All the Christian men had to invite an unsaved. And so Peter said, look, uh, you know, Condal Park's having this banquet on such and such a night. It, it, it cost you nothing. And I said, what's this banquet? He says, oh, food, you know, like uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, potatoes. I said, oh, very food. I'll be in that. But little did I know that God was working through my tummy <laughs> to receive the word of God. And they had this man. He's, uh, I, I think he's back in the United States. And his story was that he used to delve in drugs, him and a pastor's son, used to cut their Bible and put drugs in their Bible, and they got caught. And long story short, they were going to kill them, but eventually they let them out. And this is the man that's giving this, you know, he's preaching on that men's breakfast. There was 100 men there. And I was watching him. I said, I don't trust this guy. If he dealt with drugs, he may come up and give me a jab. So I just, eye to eye contact with him. I just, I'm listening after we ate. I'm listening to him. And he used the verse that came straight to my heart. Mark chapter 8, verse 36. What was my goal in life? Get rich quick, retire early. Mark 8, 36 says, What shall it profit a man should he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And my eyes just went, wham. You mean, you know, I could gain the whole world, but if I lost my soul, I'd gain nothing because I'll go to hell. And I got saved that night. I believe I was the only one because I was watching him and he, and he, and he said, now we're all going to close our eyes after he finished and bow our heads and, and he's going to pray. And I said, there's no way I'm going to bow, bow my head and watch. I'm still not trusting you. <laughs> and, and he was praying and he was looking at me and I'm looking at me and he says, if you want to know more and how to get saved, come and see me. And I went and gloriously got saved. Thank God for that verse. Thank God for people that didn't give up on us. Even though I knew all everything, it had to be the Holy Spirit to take the scales off my eyes. And I accepted the Lord Jesus into my heart. I've never regretted that. And I thank him when I do remember 
for what he's given me. You know, the night I was saved, that's when I got the peace of the Lord. Prior to that, I used to be terrified of death. I seen a lot of my family die, and I was terrified that if I didn't die in the you know, state of grace, as we were told, there's only one place you could go, and that's hell. But if it, if it was a minor sin, you'd go to purgatory. And I said, what's that like? It's, it's burning is there, too. You've got to pay for all your sins. But I never found it in the Bible. And when he says that you're, you know, when you trusted in Christ and made, you know, asked him to come into your heart, the peace of God just went all over me. No more fear of death. It wasn't long after that that I went to Bible college and studied for the ministry. You see, you can know about God. You can know about Jesus. But it's not enough to know and believe about Jesus. One must believe in him. One must rely on him as one's savior. Satan would like nothing more to, if there was anybody here that's not saved, he would love nothing more than to, for you to believe only in Jesus. He doesn't mind that, but he doesn't want you to get saved. Until you have Christ as your savior, you're not saved. You may be like me with head knowledge. Unless you have hard experience, you're not saved. You have to appropriate Christ. You have to ask him to come into your life and to save you and to give you eternal life. Does not the word say to us that if you ask him, he will give to us? Yes, he will. But as many as received him, to them gave he authority. That's the word. We use the word power, but the word is authority to become the children of God. He says, in no wise will I cast you out if you come to him. And you will gain eternal life. If you do not know what hell is like, I encourage you today, if you're not saved, to go home and read Luke 16. That'll tell you what hell's like. Literally what it's like. But it'd be better if you got saved here this morning. I pity those who will one day stand at the judgment of God knowing how to be saved and have never trusted Jesus. You know, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. But if you get saved, the only judgment that you'll go for is at the judge, at the uh, the, what do they call it, the uh, Bema Seat of Christ, which is for Christians, but there you're going to be judged for what works you've done from the time you got saved till the time that we were with the Lord, whether it was for his glory or for self. But you're not judged for your sins. That's been taken care of over 2,000 years ago. What a thrill that is. But I pity those. Can you imagine going up before God and says, well, I was a good person. I never killed anybody. I never did any harm to no one. Yes, I never went to church, but I was, I'm good to my family. I do good works. And God says, I never knew thee. Depart from me, you wicked. What, a, what, what an indictment that would be. What, what a terrible 
thing it would be to stand before God Almighty and says, I never knew thee. And you could do good. You could be an upstanding citizen. You could love your families. You could do whatever. Maybe you don't steal and you don't lie. But without Christ, all the rest of it is futile. Without him, there's no hope. Thirdly, it would have been worse for some than for others in the day of judgment. Every time a person hears the gospel and re reject the Christ, it will become worse and worse for him. I want you to turn with me. You say, well, where do you get that? I find that in Matthew chapter 23, where it's going to be worse for some. And here, here's Jesus talking. And he's talking to the religious leaders of those time when he was there. He's talking to the Pharisees and to the Sadducees, you know. And he says in, in chapter 23 and verse 13 and 14, he says, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He's calling the religious leaders of that day, he's calling them as hypocrites, for ye shut or close up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer, therefore ye shall receive, notice the next two words, greater damnation. They had an opportunity to turn to Christ, but it was the Pharisees, it was the religious leaders that didn't want Christ. And unfortunately, they try and keep the Jewish nations that was in those days, the Israelis and everything, they were trying to keep them from going to the Lord. And so it was going to be, for them, a greater time in hell. Let's make sure that you know and understand how you can be saved. You know, we use that wonderful verse, and it's amazing sometimes. I love sports, as you know, and sometimes when I'm, I'm watching a game of football, and that sometimes in, in the audience there, and the, somebody gets John 3.16, and they, they do that. They probably should have been in church, not watching football. But that's what that verse says, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him, not about him, but in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. It will be, or it won't be God's fault, nor my fault, nor the pastor's fault here or some of the other people's fault, if you come here unsaved and you leave the same way. You cannot blame God for that. You cannot blame, blame me for that. You can't blame your pastor. You can't blame the Christians that are here because if you're here and you've been invited to church and you, you're not born again, uh, you need to get born again because they have their concern for you. Because they know what's going to happen should you die. You see, no one knows when that time is. Those 49 people didn't know that they were going to get shot. 
Those plane crashes didn't know that 157 were going to die from that plane. And many, many hundreds that people die every day, they don't know when it's their time. I just learned yesterday uh, my niece's husband, or ex-husband, I guess, uh, he, he had cancer, but he didn't die of cancer. He died of a heart attack. 53. That's young when I compare him to my age. Some of you are much younger than me. The Bible says that you're a sinner, according to Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul said in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, at verse 3, if I can find it. Just let me read it. I've got too many notes here. Ephesians. Chapter 2 and verse 3. Listen to what Paul is saying here as well. He says, Among whom also we all had, or lived, is the word, our conversation in time past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. What is he saying? We were by nature children of wrath. Before anyone gets saved, that's what they are. People don't like to hear that they are lost, that they are a child of the devil. You see, you're either for Christ or against him. And if you're against him, you're a part of the devil's family. But if you're for him and you're saved, you're part of God's family. And Paul is saying here that by nature we were all that before we got saved. Every child of God by nature was a child of wrath, even as others who have never been saved. You know, if you come to the book of Revelation, chapter 21, I want to show you who's going to be there in hell. And if you're unsaved and something should happen to you and you are going to hell, this is the people that you're going to be with in hell. Revelation 21 and verse 8. It says, but the fearful and unbelieving, you see, there it is, unbelieving, and the abominable and murderers. You may say to me, well, I've never murdered anybody. Have you ever hated someone with a passion? Jesus said, that's just like murder. And warmongers and sorcerers, people that delve into these things, and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Somebody asked me, which is the second death. Is that a literal one? Yes, it is. And the sad thing about the lake of fire when hell and the Antichrist and Satan are all thrown into the lake of fire and those nations that forgot God and those people who are mentioned here, once they're there, they're never coming out. That's the tragedy. How long is eternity? Think about it. You know, we live, I'm 76. These, by the way, in September. I'm 75, really. Uh, 
I try to keep young. But anything over 70 is a bonus because the Bible says that God says that three score and ten, which is 70. So God has been pleased to give me another five years over that time. And somebody said, oh, you've got your mother's genes. She lived till 94. Well, praise God if that's the case. As long as I'm still able to share the good news, I'm happy to live till the Lord takes me. But one day I'm going to die should the Lord tarries and not come back for about 100 years. Every one of you here, if the Lord doesn't come back for his church for another 100 years, we're all going to go via the grave. But for the Christian, the Bible does say, by the way, that's where your soul will be in heaven, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. But your body goes back into the dust, and when Jesus comes, he's going to match them, and we're going to have a glorified body. But for those that die in Christ, are going to be in this place, in the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone, and we need to understand sometimes, and we need to ponder on this. It's for eternity, folks. Not for 75 years of age, not for 100 years, not for 1,000 years, but never ending. Can you imagine when you're here this morning and you know what to do to get saved and you walk out here without Christ and something happens to you because you don't know when your time is up? No one knows. And you find yourself in hell because of pride? Because you think, oh, I'm young, I want to have a fling of life? You know, if I took you to the cemeteries, you'll have from infants to 100 years of age. You know, my first ministry in Wollongong, all I did for the first year was burying people. I, I was getting so discouraged. You know, I was burying Christians. And that was good, because, but I, you know, that, I buried a seven-year-old. I buried a 14-year-old who shot himself. I buried a 24-year-old. I buried a 50. I, bar, I buried a 60, and also a 70-year-old. But praise God, they're with the Lord. But to die and to wake up in hell would be a tragedy. If I could get saved by good works, by baptism or any other way, then Jesus died in vain. He came here to die for no purpose. Because if I can do works and that will get me to heaven, then there's no need for him to have come and to go through what he did. You know the song that the lady sang really spoke to my heart about the torn hands of the Savior. The, the body, no man died like he did. And he did it for us, for the world. The only way is through Christ. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 says, For Christ also hath once, isn't that beautiful? Once suffered for sins the just 
for the unjust. We are the unjust. He's the just. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. You know, we serve a risen Savior. The song says he's in the world today. Our Savior is alive. Every other isms and cults, all their leaders have died and stayed died. But ours was Christ who rose again. And the Bible says he ascended back into heaven where he's interceding on our behalf. He's praying for us. He's praying for you. But you have to be saved. You need to get saved. The last thing I want you to see is is found in verse 28. Agrippa, King Agrippa, made the wrong decision. You know, we all make decisions, do we not? And in in, um, Acts chapter 26 and verse 28, which is obviously our text verse this morning, says, "Then, Then Agrippa, or King Agrippa, said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me, to be a Christian, almost. The tragedy of almost becomes a reality because he made the wrong decision about Christ. He knew how to be saved. And I believe this morning that there's not one person in this church that doesn't know how to be saved. He had the opportunity to receive Christ as his Savior, Savior, And you have the opportunity this morning to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. He almost said yes, but he said no and lost his soul. Almost. He he came very close, but being close is not good enough. It never will be. There is danger in delay. And if you happen to die in your sins and go to hell, it will be not because you do not know how to be saved. It's because you made the wrong decision. You have an opportunity this morning to call upon the Lord to save you. And he promises never to leave you nor forsake you once he saves you. have to believe in Christ. And I'm going to finish with the verse of John 3, 18 this morning. And that verse says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, salvation is free. It costs you nothing. Remember I was telling you the story of having um, that restaurant-type shop in Moorbank What I didn't share with you was that I got saved and I thought, well, I'm not going to pursue this anymore. 
um, I don't have that desire to become rich monetary-wise and retire early. So I said, well, I've, you know, time had passed a little bit and the shopping center was starting to take a bit of shape, but the shops weren't done. I said, well, I have to go back to the bank. I'll have to go back to the solicitor and I have to go back to the shop fitters who made all the plans for me. And I did that. And I went to them. Now, they all did work. All they needed was my signature and things would have moved in motion. So I went to the bank and I said, look, I'm no longer pursuing this. And, and he asked me why. And I said, well, I got saved. I've become a Christian and I have different values now. I'm not interested in money. I said, I'm interested in serving the Lord. The bank said, oh, okay. And I said, how much do I owe you for the work? And the bank manager said, nothing. And praise God. That's great. I went to my solicitor and he said, how is the thing progressing? I said, you know. And I said, I'm not going through it. And he said, what? He said, it's going to be a gold mine. And by the way, it has been a gold mine ever since that time. Somebody else got it, but that's fine. He says, you know, you've got everything ready, your signatures. I said, no, but I, in the meantime, I got saved. Now I'm talking to unsaved people here. And they said, oh, what's that? And I, and I explained to him. And he's become a very good friend of mine. He's, he's now deceased. I don't know if he ever got saved or not. But I said, what do I owe you for all the work that you did? He said, oh, okay. He says, nothing. Oh, wow, this is amazing. Two people that should get paid. So I went to the shop fitters, those that fix up and do all the interior and everything else, and I said the same thing to them. Plans were done, and it costs money. And I said the same thing to them. And they said no charge. Now, who do you think orchestrated that? You know, I, I would have stand to lose a lot of money had they said, yes, I've got to pay for all what I had done. But not one person asked for me to pay. Praise God for that. And then it wasn't long for that that I God called me to go into Bible college and spend four years of training to become a servant of the Lord. And I do it willingly because of love. Because he so loved me that he gave me eternal life. And what can I give him? except my service. I want to challenge you this morning. Primarily, what I preached here mostly would be to the unsaved. But, you know, you Christians, those of you who have experienced salvation and you have eternal life, serve him out of love. Not out of necessity, but out of love for what he's done for you. Eternal life is a wonderful gift that God has imparted to you who are born again today. And we all need to, when we get that opportunity, remember that the unsaved line up, go around the globe 20 times. That's a lot of unsaved people. And many and many and many are going to a priceless eternity because God's people are not witnessing. You know, I've said to my church sometimes, some people says, well, I'm, 
I'm fearful to go and knock on doors. I says, well, don't be. But you could also witness by your living. You can drop leaflets into their uh, box, you know. But if you're fearful and you don't, not sure of how to lead someone to Christ, tell them your testimony, how you became a born-again believer and how you have now eternal life. So those of you who are born again, I encourage you, serve even greater for the Lord because there are so many people. You may have some in your own family that are not born again. Don't give up on them. Keep praying and tell them about Jesus. But if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, you've never personally asked him to come into your life, you need to search out somebody from the church and ask them, how can I be saved? And I'm sure that they will be happy to sit down with you and open from the Bible and show you how you can have what we have. May God bless you. Thank you once again to your pastor for giving me the opportunity to come here and share with you this morning. May God bless you. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Pastor Sini, for, for bringing God's word to us. Uh, it's a timely reminder for all of us, you know, uh, even as Christians, that we have a responsibility. One day we will stand at the judgment of Christ, not for our sins, but for what Pastor says, for the way we live, you know. All people will not, uh, will not get saved, but we have the opportunity to tell them how to be saved, okay? Heads bowed, eyes closed. You've heard a, a message that not all churches will gonna preach. Uh, I believe with all my heart that, and I'm not a prophet, but I believe that there is someone among us this morning that is not yet saved. You may say, well, you know what, Brother June, I, I, my mom and dad are Christians. My brother and my sisters are Christians. Now, I'm not say, asking you if your mom and dad are Christians, or your sister and brother and sister. Asking you this morning, do you really know, without a shadow of doubt, that you are a child of God? That's the question I'm asking you this morning. And if you don't know that this is the time for you, it's time for you. I encourage you. Go to someone that you're comfortable with and ask them to show you from the Bible, from the Word of God, how to be saved. Without looking around, can you honestly say, I'm a child of God, Brother Jun? Or you will have the courage to say, Brother Jun, I'm not saved. I don't know. For sure, if I die, if I go to heaven. Is there someone among us this morning? Is someone? Is there someone? 
while we're Christians then, my challenge for you is have you been telling about what Christ has done for you in your life? When people look at you or look at me, can they see Christ in us that we are really a child of God? Maybe the message this morning was presented, presented in such a way that you would say, well, you know, Brother June, I was challenged by the message this morning. I am not telling others about what Christ has done for me. Is someone that would be courage enough to lift their hands and says, that's me, Brother June. Please pray for me that I would have the courage to tell others about what Christ has done for me. Is there anyone among us this morning? We need an uplifted hand. I saw that hand. Thank you for that. Is there some more amongst us that would have the courage to say, you know, Brother John, I need to tell more about what Christ has done for me. Anyone amongst us? I should not leave that hand. Thank you. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you, Lord, for, for your precious word to us this morning. Yes, indeed, Lord, there are people around us that we can tell about your love for us, unconditional love. Help us to live in such a way, Lord, that people will be attracted to you, not to us. Because you empowered us to live a life pleasing unto thee. Again, we thank you, Lord, for Pastor Sini and Mr. Sini, Lord, for uh, spending their time with us this morning, especially Pastor Sini preaching the word of God. I pray, dear God, that you'll continue to use him for your glory. Continue, Lord, to use him and his family to be a blessing to others. And as Christians, a member of Southland Baptist Church, may we do the same. Lord, help us to be the kind of Christians you want us to be. Again, we pray for a pastor who is away from us. Pray to God that you continue to, to protect him, continue to, to use him to be a blessing to the people that he met uh, there in, in, in the U.S. And Lord, please uh, bring him back safely to us. And uh, Lord, uh, pray also, Lord, for Sarah, she slept. Uh, we are looking after the kids. I pray to God, Lord, that uh, you would uh, just give them your grace and your comfort. And bring us back at the next appointed time for this. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. You dismissed. Uh, I'm